I Read Comics, show number 78. Thanksgiving and the sun is blazing through my window, which is nice because it's kind of cool in my house and the sun feels nice and warm. But what's up with the weather? Global climate change. Anyway, a couple of newsy things. The Watchmen limited motion animation thing that I've talked about before is now up to chapter five and I have the first three parts of it up at my storage vault place that toucan place and I am going to grab four and five today and put them up there also so if you want to see them you can go get them from there they're charging for them now which is kind of I think a ripoff because the first one was free and then they make you pay for them after that and I don't know that they really need to be making money off of it so for this one I don't feel bad about saying please go to my site and get it they're AVI files and it's pretty cool I haven't seen four and five so I don't know what happens in them but if you want to see them I am letting you have them so I'll put the link up and you can go grab them you can grab all five if you want I think eventually when they're all done they're gonna come out together and maybe they'll put them on a DVD or something but for now it's only one chapter at a time I'm pretty impressed that they've been able to keep to some kind of release schedule and have them actually come out when they're supposed to movie comes out in March the new trailer looks really cool Um, it's either going to be a really good movie or a really bad movie and whatever it is I will definitely be seeing it in another newsy news sort of thing which I posted to the blog for the show, the Legion is all over the place. So there is going to be, a, am going to say reboot, a new adventure comics that's launching in February. And the cover of it is a, a new interpretation of the original Legion cover with Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad and Cosmic Boy denying Superboy entry to the Legion. And it's going to be a reprint of the original story. And then I don't know what they're going to do after that, whether they're rebooting the Legion yet again or whether it's just going to be some continuation. No idea. Don't know what's happening. But anyway, it's interesting that they're doing that. And at the same time, the Legion are going to be making an appearance on Smallville. I don't watch Smallville, but I know that they've had guest characters over the years who were part of the DC Universe, including Green Arrow and uh, Aquaman, people like that. So now finally we're going to get to see the Legion. Somebody did a screen cap of it at the uh, Krypton site, which I put up on the blog. And it looks, you know, I like the little, they're not uniforms, just the clothes that they put them in. I think it looks kind of cool. So I might have to watch that just to see what they do with the canon story of Legion and how they're going to work that into Smallville. So I think that's pretty cool. And then additionally, I just got a new book called Teenagers from the Future, Essays on the Legion of Superheroes. And it's edited by Timothy Callahan. Matt Fraction has a forward, which is kind of weird. Um, I didn't like it too much. And it's published by the Sequart Research and Literary Organization. I don't know how to pronounce this word. It's spelled S-E-Q-U-A-R-T. I want to say Sequart, which sounds ridiculous. Sequart, maybe? I think they could have picked a better way to say sequential art than to just smash those two words together and leave people like me not knowing how to pronounce them. But I've only read a couple of essays in here, and so far it's pretty good. They cover a lot of different categories. There are things about the Silver Age and then through the time periods moving up to a couple of essays about the Mark Wade 
current, well, not current because he's not doing it anymore, but the stuff that's been happening more recently. And there is a whole chapter about women in the early Legion focusing specifically on Saturn Girl, who is supremely awesome, as I've talked about many times before. So I'm very, very happy that they have a chapter about that. Chris Sims has a chapter called The Often Arbitrary Rules of the Legion, which is really great. And there's a chapter by Matthew Elmsley, who does the Legion Abstract, which is a cool blog that I visit pretty often. So I'll put up links to that. And I liked his chapter. There are chapters discussing um, gender identity and homosexuality, diversity and evolution, when they included non-white characters, which wasn't very often, things about uh, the youthful aspect of the Legion and the science in the Legion, the early Legion with the JLA. The they're really an interesting collection of essays. I ordered this through Lulu, which is a print-on-demand kind of thing, and it was cheaper that way than getting it any other way, so uh, I would recommend that you do it that way. Sequart Research and Literary Organization is a nonprofit devoted to the study and promotion of comic books as a legitimate art, and I fully support that. So I will talk more about this book as I get through it, and I might read a few excerpts from it because some of the stuff about the Silver Age, of course, is just wonderful. And, you know, I really get a kick out of reading a magazine, oh, sorry, an essay like this, any essay, that talk about a story that I'm really familiar with because I've read it so many times, and looking at the panels that they've reproduced and knowing that I have that comic book in my collection with the yellowing edges in its little plastic bag there and it's also funny fun seeing how people interpret a story in ways that you might not have thought of before and that is the best part of a really good essay is making you look at something familiar in a new way so I, I might talk a little bit about the death and resurrection of lightning lad when I reread that chapter to see because there were a few things in here that they mentioned that I hadn't really thought about before so yeah, Legion, Legion, Legion everywhere. Still not reading Jim Shooter because I don't like the way he writes Legion, but apparently he's not doing it anymore, so I don't know what it's looking like these days. I think that's it for the newsy portion. Let me uh, take a little break, and then I've got some cool newish, newish sort of newish stuff to talk about. mentioned this on the blog and I wanted to talk about it a little bit in the show just because it made me realize that I hadn't really been paying attention to what was going on with Marvel. So recently I was watching uh, 
the Cartoon Network, and they have a new DC animated show on called Batman Brave and the Bold, and I watched a little bit of the preview for it, and I thought it looked kind of stupid, because Batman and Green Arrow, and Green Arrow is drawn like he was in the Golden Age. He wasn't didn't look like Ollie. They were being suspended over a vat of acid by the Clock King. It's like, okay, I guess... <laughs> If you want to go for that classic sort of Batman being suspended over a vat of acid thing again, whatever. And they were cracking wise with each other. So I, I don't know about that. Anyway, I started thinking, you know, um, Marvel, I haven't seen a lot of Marvel stuff lately. But then I read the very next day that they're doing a Thor cartoon, which I thought, hey, that's really cool. And then I started to read about all these other things that they had planned, and they've got all these movies planned. So I actually went and looked this up in a couple different places, and I made a list of all of the things that Marvel has planned. And they're taking over the world. They're taking over cartoons, and they're taking over movies. And I don't think that's a bad thing, especially because they're actually making money doing it. So just to tell you, here's what they're doing. Um, Things that have definitely been confirmed and are in production. So there's the Wolverine movie coming out next year. There's supposed to be the Magneto movie coming out next year. There's the Wolverine and the X-Men cartoon. There's a new Iron Man cartoon called Iron Man Armored Adventures. There's also supposed to be a Black Panther cartoon and the Marvel Superhero Squad cartoon. That's all next year, 2009. In 2010, there's the Iron Man 2 movie. There's the Thor movie. There's the Thor cartoon. Then in 2011, there's the Captain America movie. There's the Spider-Man 4 movie, which is listed as 2011. Who knows if it's going to come out with Sam Raimi directing and Tobey Maguire starring. And then the Avengers movie. And then at the same time as the Avengers movie, there's going to be a new Avengers cartoon called The Avengers, Earth's Mightiest, cartoon, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. So that's pretty cool. And then I found this other list of stuff as being in development. You never know when something is listed in development, whether it's actually going to happen or not, but... Given the way things are going, I think a lot of these are probably going to happen. So these are all movies. Ant-Man, Black Panther, Iron Fist, Daredevil 2, and we all hope to God it's not as bad as Daredevil 1. If you ever want to watch the Daredevil movie, I strongly recommend you download the riff tracks for it because otherwise you'll never be able to get through it. Ghost Rider 2, um, I won't be seeing that. The Incredible Hulk 2. A Nick Fury movie, a Silver Surfer movie, and I'm wondering if that's really going to be a spin-off of the Fantastic Four movie. Runaways movie, Venom movie, and X-Men First Class movie. I think that is pretty awesome. They are certainly capitalizing on the speed and momentum that they have right now, which is cool. And if they can keep up the level of quality in most of their recent movies, and I mean things like Iron Man and Hulk, the last Hulk movie, which was really good, They'll, they'll take over the world. So what can I tell you? They're finally knowing how to do things right. Maybe they finally had someone with, you know, an MBA come in to help them figure out how to actually make money and keep their fan base going. And I read somewhere else that they're actually making money on their comic books. So, geez, it must be working. Lesson there, DC. I don't know how DC did with the money from um, the Batman movie, the most recent one, Dark Knight. But they have nowhere near the... The range of characters and the universe that Marvel has always had. And I'm so happy that Marvel is finally trying to play in that world where, where you always felt comfortable in the comics because everybody lived in and around New York pretty much. And they all intersected with each other and you all saw them coming together, especially in big comics like Avengers where people would pop in and out and members of the team would change. 
you know, I know JLA and JSA, but they never did it to the extent that the Marvel characters did, in my opinion. So I'm glad that they're doing it. On a totally and completely unrelated topic, um, I've been reading this manga series called Yotsuba, and I finally got around to buying volume one of Yotsuba because I want to have them. I've been getting them out of the library, but they're so wonderful and adorable that I decided I just had to have them. So Yotsuba number one is by um, Kiyohiko Ezuma, and it was published, let's see, let me flip open the front slash back cover. It's in black and white. It's a regular sized manga. Why am I not finding the publishing listed here? It's ADV manga. And I don't know if they're still publishing them. I believe they're up to um, at least Yotsuba number five now and maybe more than that. So this was the first one that came out and it's in English and it's back to front just like regular manga is. And Yotsuba is the title character and she's a little girl who has green hair and four pigtails and her name means uh, like four leaf clover, which is why she's called that. And this is one of those manga where I don't want to say nothing happens because a lot of stuff actually does happen. It's not action adventure. It's not supernatural. It's just a slice of life and it's the story of this little girl and her dad and what happens to them just every day during the summer before school starts again. In this volume, number one, we see a little bit about the setup. So um, Yotsuba and her dad move to a new house and their friend um, Jumbo, who's a really, really tall guy, and I guess in Japan that probably means what, like 6'2 or something, helps them move in and they meet the family next door who's a mom and three girls and get to know each other. And the rest of the book are chapters like Yotsuba and Manners, Yotsuba and TV, Yotsuba and Shopping, Yotsuba and Cicadas, and Yotsuba and Rain. And it's about how she views the world. And I think she's supposed to be around maybe five or six years old. That's my impression. And she's crazy. She's just a crazy, crazy girl. She's like a little monkey. And nothing gets her down. Her dad says that about her. And she just has a vivid imagination and is willing to try anything. We don't know a lot about her background. Um, she said, it's said about her that she's an orphan. And her dad isn't her real biological dad. He says to someone that he met her when he was overseas. He doesn't say where that is. And he just ended up taking care of her. And now he's her dad. And she calls him dad. Once she gets to know the neighbors next door, she also starts calling their mom, mom. So she clearly doesn't have a really good um, former sense of family. But she understands what a family is. So... I just love this book. It's so fun and it's so silly and so realistic and sweet. It's a really, really sweet book, but not in a horrible, sappy way, just in a like, wow, it's so nice to refreshing, read something so refreshing and cute. And, you know, I sound like I'm just babbling right here, but I really, really love Yotsuba. And I like her neighbors, the three girls who are uh, sort of teenager, 15, and then the youngest one is a little bit older than Yosiba is supposed to be. Um, and she gets along really well with them. They don't really talk about where their dad is. Um, he clearly doesn't live with them. And it's, it's neat to see uh, this sort of day-to-day -day life in Japan in a little town where, you know, everybody kind of does their thing. Um, and... <laughs> Things happen that things happen to normal people. So when they move into this little house, turns out that the uh, the bathroom lock is broken when Yotsuba goes in there and she can't get out. And her dad has fallen back to sleep again. He gets up, makes them breakfast, goes back to sleep. 
So the only way she can get out is to go through the bathroom window and then she ends up just kind of uh, going for a little walk and having an adventure and seeing some other people. She meets um, her neighbors again, they go back and um, the neighbor girl that she's closest to is named Fuka, who's about 15, and she goes in to use the bathroom and gets stuck in there and has to climb out the window and Yotsuba goes out again and has another little adventure. and Everything ends up all right in the end, which is just the way it's supposed to be. Um, and Yotsuba, as is often the case, ends up falling asleep on the floor because she's had such an adventure. So a lot of it is her learning what things are in the one about global warming, which she calls GLOW, G-L-O-W, ball, B-A-L-L, warming. She sees an air conditioner for the first time and kind of misunderstands what happens and gets all mad at her dad because she thinks he hates um, the earth, with the neighbors having told her that running it too much isn't a good thing. I really like the relationship that Jumbo and her dad have, Mr. Koai. Um, they're... They like each other and support each other. They sit around sometimes just reading comic books together. And then they have mock battles where they pretend that they're um, being ninjas and pretending to hit each other. But it's just all very friendly and fun. Yotsuba and her dad go shopping. And like any little kid, she's running around touching everything and going, what's that? What's that? What's that? And he's trying to explain it and trying to keep her from breaking things. And eventually she gets tired and in the department store, lays down on a bed and goes to sleep. And everybody just really likes her. The art is really beautiful. The people look like real people. They're not uh, really over manga eyes, like their eyes don't take up their entire faces. Uh, and, and Yotsuba really looks like a little girl in her body posture. She's always kind of um, throwing her arms up in the air and going, yeah, and her eyes are really big. And she has green eyes, too, that match her green hair, which I also like. Of course, the manga is black and white, so, you know, it's just on the cover where you see that. In the cicadas story, they decide to go collect cicadas and put them in a box. And then she accidentally, well, not accidentally, she does let them out in the neighbor's house and they have to catch them all over again. And they do, and that's an adventure, too. And she says, it was a lot of fun. In the last story, in the rain, she goes outside in the rain and just splashes around. Um... Then there's a little story with her dad forgetting to take in the laundry, and Fuka comes and helps him take it in. It sounds ridiculous when I'm trying to describe it, but I really, really like it. And the rest of the stories in the other volumes are like that as well. It's just different things that happen. There's one where she sees a, a movie on TV about um, people getting revenge and understands what revenge is. So she fills up a water gun and goes around squirting everybody to get revenge for something. It's not really explained what it is. But it's really great. So um, if you like these kinds of stories, these gentle, fun, sweet stories, I can highly recommend Yotsuba. It was kind of hard to find this volume. I had to go on eBay and buy it. And the copy that I ended up getting was an ex-library copy. So I'm not sure whether it's really out of print um, or whether it's just temporarily out of print. But you might have to do it. But like I said, my library had all of them, which is how I got hooked on them. So I really like it. And additionally, another sort of um, kid-ish book because I think Yotsuba is totally appropriate for kids as well as adults, is something called uh, Flight Explorer, and this is Volume 1, which just came out. So Flight is a series of um, short pieces, and I believe they're up to number 5 now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's edited by um, Kazu Kibuyushi. It's a 
a showcase for young writers and artists who are supposed to do different and innovative things. And honestly, I've never really read Flight, but I saw Flight Explorer and I thought it looked kind of cool. It was recommended to me, so I picked it up. And it's definitely aimed more at kids, but I really like the stories that are in it. It's very bright and very colorful. Um, The stories are sort of kid length, with the exception of one that was kind of longer, but there's a lot of cool adult stuff in it as well. So this one has, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten different stories, the longest of which is uh, Missile Mouse, and that one's by Jake Parker. And Missile Mouse is um, kind of a space explorer guy, and in this story he has to go uh, save a planet from uh, an evil robot-y monster thing that lives in the lake and he does it with the help of the native inhabitants it's quite good it's got beautiful beautiful art very you know science fictiony looking um let's see there's another really good story called the perfect cat which is about ancient egypt and um it's by johan mate and if you don't think that sounds interesting you'll be surprised by that some of these characters seem to be ongoing like these are stories taken from characters that have their own um Live. So Missile Mouse is one of them. There's one called Fish and Chips, which is about a goldfish and a cat superhero team. Goldfish is in um, a goldfish bowl, and it's really cool. He saves the Earth from a meteorite. There's Zeta the Space Girl by Ben Hotkey. Um, Fish and Chips, by the way, is uh, by Steve Homaker. There's Snowcap, which also seems to be ongoing by uh, Matthew Armstrong. And Jellaby, which also looks ongoing by um, Kian Su. Um, and the first story is by, um, Kazu Kibiyushi and it's called Copper Mushroom Crossing. Copper is the name of a kid and Fred is the name of his dog and they have to cross over some mushrooms and it's the story of what happens. So I just like this so much because the art is really beautiful. All the stories look completely different. The art is not the same in any of them. Um, the perfect cat story is, is sort of asterisky looking, very, um, stylized and, got smooth clean lines to it um the zeta story is much more kind of rough looking um almost in a calvin and Hobbesish kind of way the characters are a little bit blobby um <laughs> delivery is a good one too it's about um a tarzan guy and his elements and that's by banister and the last story snowcap is very maurice sendak looking um and it's got a really cute little monster in it So I thought Flight Explorer Volume 1 was really, really good. I could definitely recommend it as a a kid present, but also if you like these kinds of stories, I would definitely recommend it for any adults. So let me take a quick break, and then I'm going to talk about Conan.
You know, the other reason I really like Flight Explorer, just to continue the thought, because I was just looking at it while I was taking a drink of lemonade, is that it presents worlds where fantastic things happen, and there are monsters that are friendly and talking animals and space missions and things like that. But you know that nothing bad is going to happen. And sometimes I really like that in a comic book where I'm going to read it and I know that nobody's going to die horribly and there isn't going to be any gratuitous violence and no women who are half naked. And, you know, sometimes you just need that. And Flight Explorer is just wonderful because it has none of those things. It has just clever little stories that will make you feel good after you read them. So sometimes I just need a dose of it. So let's contrast that with, oh, say, Conan and the Bloodstained Crown and other stories. Uh, This is another Conan collection put out by Dark Horse. This actually came out, um, I think, last year or something. I bought it when it... No, it came out this year, January 2008. And these stories, so it's a collection of stories that appeared in the Conan um, comic book by Dark Horse that were like backup stories to save Carrie Nord from going insane from having to fucking draw Conan over and over and over again. So it features different artists. The stories are all written by Kurt Busiek, but the, the artists are all different. So um, the artists are Eric Powell, Timothy Truman, Raphael Kayan, uh John Severin, yay, John Severin, and Bruce Tim for the last story. So they're all different stories that take place in different times, and they're really good. I thought this was a great collection. They're... Um, Typical, you know, Conan. Well, Kurt's writing it, so he knows. He's got a handle on what Conan is. The first story, he says, is kind of an allegory for um, the author himself, for Robert E. Howard. And it's about a, a kid who lives in a village. Not a kid. He's grown up enough. Teenager. Who dreams of doing other things and is a really good storyteller. And it just so happens that Conan and his friends come to town one night and the town ends up having to defend themselves from the horrible, evil things that are chasing them, gargoyles. And so um, our hero does that very thing. So he becomes the hero of his own story. And it's really well done. Um, We get it from his point of view. There's some really beautiful language in there. And we see, you know, you often wonder when you read Conan, what happens when he comes into a town and, and, you know, the demons of hell are chasing him. And you really get to see all this from the townsperson's point of view. Like, who the hell are these people who come in here and put us all at risk? And there's not really enough time for them to object too much. They just have to grab swords and keep themselves from dying. And the kid uh, ends up saving them um, from something that they didn't even know was there because he goes into a mind where the demons are trying to to break through. So he he ends up being a hero, and it's kind of cool. Um, You know, I got to say, I wasn't crazy about the art in this one. This is art by uh, Eric Powell. It's a little too um, blurry and smeary for me, and maybe that's just his style, but personally, I didn't care for it. It's a a good story. I mean, it works well. looks effective. The next one is uh, a a longish thing called um, Seeds of Empire, and this takes... Um, the framing story that we've seen throughout Conan with the the prince and the wazir who's been reading him stories of Conan and it takes it a little bit further to their story and what's happening in their kingdom and how the lessons of Conan might help influence what's going on <coughs> excuse me in their world and there's a lot of intrigue and treachery and you know we see a story 
of uh, Conan when he's roaming the hills with the, the hill bandits. And the really interesting thing about this whole story is that Conan wears pants through the whole thing, which I have hardly ever seen in a story. And he's wearing a shirt too. So it's really cool and uh, very intricate. And it took me several times of reading it through to figure out exactly what the hell was going on. But it's worth, it's worth going through it. And um, the art is pretty good. It's not as great as the Carrie Nord art, but it's uh, suitable to the story. The next one is called In the Tower of Tarateth, and it is a standalone kind of story where Conan has to go and uh, retrieve a magical item, which happens in like half the stories that he has. The artist is um, Raphael Kayanin, and it's uh, fairly gruesome because there's a lot of really gross stuff in here. So there's scorpions and there's skeletons and there's uh like bats that try to uh bleed him to death and then a giant bug monster so for once it wasn't the giant snake it was a giant bug instead so that sort of made me think like how many times has he fought a giant bug i'm sure it's been more than one i remember very vividly from the comic book um where he fought a giant slug and I don't think he actually killed the slug. He just fed the bad guy to the slug. But it was really gross. Giant slug. Ew. Um, the next one is called Helm. And it's a story of the famous horned helmet that he wore early on and then uh, eventually regained later. And uh, John Severin did the art for this. And it's really cool. It has a bit of a Richard Corbin feel to it, which I thought was great. This is very violent, but very realistic. It kind of shows you little vignettes of all the people who owned this helmet over the years and um, the guy who eventually got it who thought that he was going to be the king because of the prophecy but he wasn't and uh, where it finally ends up and then the last one is a very silly story illustrated by Bruce Tim, and you know Bruce Tim drawing Conan very weird but totally effective and it's about what what makes Conan laugh and I think by now we all pretty much know what would make him laugh, you know, violence being perpetrated on another person, which is exactly what happens. It's a real short story. It's only four pages. And, uh, you know, he ends up with the beautiful girl in the end as well. So I really like this volume. Now, my one complaint about it is that in um, two of the stories, we end up meeting Janissa again, who is the woman warrior who showed up early on. And now she's in two of these stories. She's in the storyteller story, and she's also in the, um, the tower story. And first, the one thing about her is that she doesn't look the same from story to story. And I think that's a problem. If you've got a female character who doesn't really look the same from story to story, I mean, she kind of sort of looks the same. The only reason you can tell it's really her is because in both stories, she's wearing that god-awful, ridiculous, could-not-work-in-the-real-world top that shows the underside of her breasts. So I will just say again, as I said when I reviewed the book that she was in the first time, A, there's no way a woman would wear something like that because it would be the most uncomfortable thing in the world. B, it wouldn't work. You just couldn't keep a top that would only show the bottom of your breast. It that's not the way, as they say on Scans Daily, boobs don't work that way. It just doesn't work. It's completely gratuitous to show the underside of her breast. Um, so just having to look at that over and over. And in, I got, you know, in the tower story, you know, she's right there. She's fighting and Conan respects her because she doesn't give up and all that. But 
just not digging the outfit. I wish that they would just hurry up and change it already. Um, so I'm still not sure how I feel about her as a character. Still, for all the argumentation about her origin story, still don't like it. Still feel that the rape was completely, the repeated rapes were completely gratuitous. And um, she just seems like, you know, the female tossed in their character. She doesn't have nearly as much personality as someone like Red Sonia, for example, who comes into the comic book Conan stories sort of full-blown with her own personality and, and her own take on things. And Janessa, I just don't see it. She doesn't stand out for me as anything more than just another swords person. Um, she could be a man, which I guess is okay that she could be interchangeable with a man, but I wish she had, that's it. I wish she had more personality. I wish she just wasn't the goth chick who sometimes shows up with Conan battling things. Cause that's pretty much the goth chick with her tits hanging out of her costume. That's her personality. And I feel like they could just do a lot more with that. So anyway, um, so I think that's pretty much it for right now. Um, I'm really watching more of TV, like the Chowder series on Cartoon Channel. Really good. Oh, and they just started something new. So <laughs> this is awful to admit, but I watched Total Drama Island, which is almost over now because suddenly it got a lot funnier. And the people who did Total Drama Island, um, this is all on Cartoon Network, also did a series a couple years ago called Sixteens, which for some reason really amused me. And the very first one I saw was a, a zombie one, a zombie, like Day of the Dead, where the zombies take over the mall. And it turned out, of course, to be a dream, but it was pretty good anyway. So I don't know. Sometimes there's really, really good stuff on the Cartoon Network. And then there's stuff like Secret Saturdays, which totally doesn't do pretty much anything for me at all. So if you haven't watched Chowder, watch it. It's pretty funny. And I'm going to leave with some music. I'm actually going through a Ben Vaughn phase right now. And this is a great song that he does called Desert Boots. I have to find a recording of his other instrumental called Hawaiian Shirts because that might just have to be the closing music for a while. So please enjoy the musical talent of Mr. Ben Vaughn. <laughs> 